0: Here we go. Another episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich DeCray along with Matt Hofeld. Thanks for uh, joining us. Rich, it's good to have you back. I had to fly solo last week. And uh, I I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. It's really, really hard to carry a podcast all by yourself. Um, so I'm super thankful you're back this week.
1: <laughs> thankful to be back, honestly. I miss these conversations that are had here because <laughs> for, for this simple reason that is, I know that you and I sit down and we kind of have a, a plan of where we want to go, but it's when we hit that rabbit hole, that things become extremely interesting and we have on deck for tonight. Man, I, I walked into the office this week after being gone for a week. And, and let me just tell you this, we've got a kid who walks in and he always wants to talk OU football. And so he had thrown out um, a commitment to, and I was like, what are you talking about? I've just been out of the loop. So like I said, man, it, it's good to be back. Yeah,
0: well, we've got a fun episode uh, here lined up for us. And we're going to talk about um, not not saying anybody is going to. But if we had to pick three candidates that would jump into the transfer portal, we're, we're going to talk. Each of us has a list of three. We, we may have one or two. Of the same guys, but when you got that big of a roster, um, maybe not. But uh, I'm I'm going to do this, Rich. We're going to rank them from most likely. All right, sorry, from least likely to most likely. So your three is the least likely to transfer. Your number one is the most likely to transfer. Um, And then we're going to talk about uh, some UCLA football as uh, as that you you personally have pegged that game as a potential trap for Oklahoma you're worried about the suiters taking to the road to go to los angeles uh third weekend of the season um and you know may, maybe so maybe not but we'll uh we'll, we'll jump in there and, and talk about that i want to start though with um something i talked about last week and i don't i don't think you, you know if you don't even know about uh about football commitments you probably don't know about this yet either but i i want to talk about um <laughs> USA Today listing their top 10 quarterbacks for 2019. Now, do, you, do you know anything about this?
1: I, I do not. I have not seen the list. No, nothing.
0: Okay, so, so basically, um, here's, here's what happened. Um, USA Today mentioned uh, their top 10 quarterbacks. And I've got no problem with uh, number one and number two. Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa are the top two. So sir, so there you you have that and uh and and um that's that's not a problem. Now you're gonna text me while I'm talking to you and that's uh that's gonna be distracting, my friend. But anyway, so Tua and <laughs> and uh Tua and Trevor are um are the top two. But here's where I just just take a guess. I mean you you know quarterbacks, you know college football. I'm I'm willing to bet you uh fifty cents. That's all I have in my pocket right now, that you can't guess who number three is.
1: If the way the national scene has kind of molded, transformed, and begun to settle, I would honestly be willing to say, uh, i've I've got a couple on my list, and I'm gonna refrain from saying the one that I honestly think should be at that number three spot, and I'm gonna say who I believe they put. In that spot, and that would be Sam Ellinger. Well, first of all, who
0: should be in that spot is Jalen Hurts, but Sam Ellinger is number four. Number three, they've got Justin Aber from Oregon. Uh, listen to this list. Okay? Really? I so, thought it would be Jake yeah. Fromm. No, no, Fromm is five. He's behind Ellinger, which is just absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. So you your top five Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Justin Aber, Sam Ellinger, Jake Fromm, and then here's the bottom five. Number six, KJ Castillo of Stanford, Adrian Martinez of Nebraska, Shay Patterson of Michigan. Finally, you get to Jalen Hurts at number nine, and then Utah State's Jordan Love at number 10. How ridiculous if how, just I mean seriously, how ridiculous of a of a top 10 list is that?
1: It's pretty outlandish. And the reason, <laughs> the reason being is that I think there are a handful of quality quarterbacks that are currently playing at the collegiate level, and not to hear their names included in that, like I said, man, it's it's just a little bit baffling. It's it's a little bit surprising. Now, maybe someone has some insider information that we know nothing about, and is using that list to say, hey, these are the guys who project. As the best quarterbacks, rather than saying they they are the ones on paper today that are the best, but that's the only reasoning that I can honestly come up with at this point as to why there would be discrepancy between what I think should be the top ten and what's actually out there.
0: Yeah, but and here's the thing. I mean, I, I again, I'm I'm sure Jordan Love is. A, I, I this is what I said last week. So for the people that are um, That are really into our podcast going, no, come on, you can't, you're gonna bring this up again. But I mean, I'm sure Jordan Love is a fantastic quarterback. I'm I'm sure uh, Utah State loves to have him on their side, as well as, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure the conference, I don't even know what conference that is, the old whack, but I don't know what it's called these days. I can't think of off the top of my head. But you're telling me you would take Jordan Love over Ian Book or Derek King from Houston or Khalil Tate from Arizona. That's just absolutely, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I I don't know for sure why USA Today does what they do. I don't know why they made the list the way they did it. Um, maybe it's sell papers. Maybe it's just to get conversations started, kind of like what we're doing right here, right now, in this moment. But then again, maybe, just maybe, they really feel that way. So that's that's just how we uh wrap that conversation up. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about um if you had to pick again not we are I, I gotta throw the massive uh disclaimer out of here. Um we are not at all not even a little bit saying that we believe these guys are heading towards the transfer portal. What we're saying is if I had to pick, if Rich had to pick three guys that would go into the portal. If if you're going to say, hey, man, uh, Oklahoma has three guys that are going to transfer. Here's the roster. Tell me which three you guess it to be. That's where we are. Now, it's again, it is not at all an indication that uh, that we believe this is going to happen. It's just a guess. These are the top three candidates. We're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. -sports Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. All right, well, welcome back to the Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports uh, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Uh, Rich, uh, would you take um, Jordan Love from Utah State? Uh, would you take him over Notre Dame's Ian Book?
1: Man, I, I really don't have a, a a lot to say about either of those quarterbacks at this point in time, but if, if I had to take one, I probably am going to lean towards – Utah State, just not knowing really? much about either of these candidates. Yeah, and here, Matt. I mean, when we look at the national scale, we looked at the national picture. The guys that you've already mentioned, the, the Tagovailoa's, the Trevor Lawrence's, those are really the golden standard here. And when I look at a Utah State team, now I know that they can be disruptive um, in terms of the national picture, and they typically get a guy in there who who's a dual threat quarterback. And I, I just think that makes you extremely dangerous anytime that you touch the ball. Now that's no slight against anybody who's not a dual threat quarterback, but when I'm looking at what Utah state puts together, the talent that they're going to have on the field surrounding the quarterback. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Utah state. You can disagree with me and that's okay.
0: I'm just, I'm just shocked. So let me, let me ask you this question. Um, It's fourth and goal from the 13 yard line you have to score. I mean you're you're down by you're down by four points, so you can't kick a field goal. You you gotta have a touchdown here. And your two options for a quarterback, fourth and goal from the thirteen yard line. You have two options. You can have Sam Ellinger or you can have Khalil Tate. Who you taking?
1: <laughs> um 13, 13 yards from the end zone. Man, here, here's the, the big kicker for me, okay? Because we've talked about this on several occasions, and I'm really going to echo the sentiments from previous conversations that we've had in that I love the tenacity about Sam Ellinger. I don't love the decision-making. And when it comes to a game-deciding play, I don't know that I can bet on Sam Ellinger if it's required to win. So I, I'm just going to throw the nod towards Khalil Tate.
0: All right, same situation, fourth and goal from the 13-yard line, and uh, you got to have a score to win the game. This time you're down by six instead of four. Uh, you're going to take uh, KJ Castillo from Stanford, or are you going to take uh, De'Aaron King from Houston?
1: I'll take King every day of the week. Yeah, see, so that's, that's, that's no the point I'm making. Is,
0: I mean, that's the point I'm making is that um, Ian Book – from Notre Dame, Derek King from Houston, and Khalil Tate are totally left off of this list. I mean, they, they don't even make it on the top 10. Um, and so that's why I just think it's a jank list. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Oklahoma, let's, let's get to Oklahoma football because it is the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, if I were to say, okay, Rich, there's three guys at the end of the year, they're going to hit the transfer portal. And you, I'm going to give you the roster, and you get to pick three guys. And you're you're going to rank them three, two, and one three uh i mean three least likely one most likely um tell me tell me who your first guy is going to be he's going to be that third guy that you think this guy could enter the portal
1: um i'm actually going to go and look at the wide receiver position for this one and say that it's michael jones he's a guy who had some productivity as a freshman and a sophomore but as a in his third year, I was gonna say his junior year, but it technically didn't count. He only appeared, I believe it was in three games and had two receptions. So took a significant step backwards, but I know experience and trying to save some of that experience for the years ahead. You just have to look at the influx of talent, specifically at that wide receiver position and ask the question of, is there room for all of these incoming freshmen plus the likes of a Charleston Rambo, C.D. Lamb, Grant Calcaterra. How do all of these these pieces of the puzzle come together to reveal this complete picture? And when I begin to think of that equation, Michael Jones is one of the guys that I can see being left out. And after that early playing time, I've got him pegged as a guy who's likely to transfer.
0: Yeah, uh, not only did he have only two catches in 2018, those two tatch- catches came in the season opener against Florida Atlantic. And so um, it's crazy how we are basically on two separate continents, but have the exact same guy at number three. Michael Jones is, is my dude. Uh, only played in three games last season. Um, we talked about the two catches and, and exactly everything that you said as far as the uh, the depth. I mean, how do you how do you scratch this depth chart? If this if this class of receivers, these freshmen are as good as advertised, and based on what we saw in the spring, they absolutely looked the part. If you're Michael Jones and you can only you know, and, and there's some injury issues and stuff like that that came into play last year as well. But I mean, if if you can only if you can only work your way to two receptions uh with a class that OU had last year, which was ex- extremely talented as well, but all they did was go and get deeper this offseason. season. Um, he would be my first option. My second option, uh, I'm going to flip sides to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with uh, number 44. I, I think if uh, if you were to tell me somebody in the defensive secondary is leaving, it's got to be Buki. I, I think uh, here's a Really? All- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think this is an important season for Buki. He's a kid who came in. He was one of Mike Stoops' kids. He had a lot of promise. A lot, I believe a lot of things were promised to him. Um, and really kind of, um, you know, the the – the revival of the defense last year—I guess that's to say—the alleged revival of the defense last year uh, was put on his shoulders. I even remember we wrote an article about it, and Mike Stoops uh, liked it on Twitter because that's—that's uh, that's how much people believed in Buki. And and I don't think you can say—I um, don't think you can use the word successful. For his freshman campaign unless you put the word not in front of it um you know poor fundamentals uh, starting with his footwork uh, lack of physicality like you know fitting a square peg into a round hole now you got a new defensive coordinator you got a new defensive backs coach kind of starting over uh, with this kid i believe if, if 2019 doesn't work out for him if they don't find a spot where he can thrive and if he can't make a giant step mentally and physically which to his credit reports post spring was that he's doing just that and you know making a giant step both mentally and physically so so good for him. but if 2019 doesn't pan out, he, he's got two years of eligibility he can set he hasn't been redshirted so he can set out somewhere and still play two more years uh, after that based off of how the season goes. So he he's my second player. again, here, here's the disclaimer. we're not saying these guys are. We're just guessing. If you were to tell us the three guys we're gonna transfer, here's our three. So, uh, so both the great of Michael Jones, and then uh, Buki's my second guy. Who's your second guy?
1: I'll go two and one here, Matt. Spare you a little bit. Number two for me is I- I've switched sides as well to the defensive side of the ball, but I'm looking more uh, not, not at that safety or um, the the position kind of carousel. I feel like that a guy like Bookie was on last season. I'm looking at just the cornerback position Um, specifically Jordan Parker, who started there as a freshman, earned eight starts. I know that he had that injury in 2018, but I don't ever feel like he's been the same since 2017. And we've seen these other entities, these other names, surpass him in playing time as well as in talent. And I thought Jordan Parker was the best of the group as a freshman, which Mm -hmm. was saying a lot because that group I thought was – at least slightly ahead of that 2017 group, and then again slightly ahead of that 2018 group. Needless to say, Jordan Parker's a guy who's, I know he played in in seven games with one start last year, but his playing time has been claimed by others, and he's seeing himself slip further down that depth chart. With this defensive overhaul, you also have to ask the question of does a guy like Jordan Parker fit the mold for what Alex Grinch is looking for at that position, cornerback or even at the safety? I don't know that he after that injury that he's the perfect fit for the defense and I see his role remaining a diminished one as a redshirt junior receiving that redshirt year as a sophomore due to that injury as a redshirt junior I think you've got to look at your options here and say am I going to play and if that answer is no like I'm assuming that it is significant playing time. That is, I'm assuming that answer is a no at this point in time. Then then you have to obviously begin to look outside of the program. And that's unfortunately the position that I think Jordan Parker, who's extremely talented, finds himself in. No, I agree. I I, agree.
0: Hold up. Hold up. I just want to, I want to jump back and say, I agree with you. I think Jordan Parker is a guy that I looked at. Um, and, but the reason, honestly, I, I went with Buki over Jordan Parker was just because of the mental aspect of it, what the expectations were, what was delivered and now having a new coaching staff. Um, but uh, Jordan Parker, I think, is, is a fantastic pick as well. Um, I, and honestly, if you if you think about it, between those two guys, when you look at the depth of their positions, um, I would hate to see. I, I don't want anybody to leave, but I would. I if you if you made me let one of them go, I would. Mm-hmm. I would keep Jordan Parker over Buki in, in a heartbeat.
1: Well, and I mean, I, I'm just looking at the numbers here with a guy like Jordan Parker, and to not play in the final four games of the season. It does make you question what's going on there. Did he have this retweak of the injury? Did that creep up again on him and keep him on the sideline? Or was it just a difference of philosophy, maybe some writing on the walls? And Jordan Parker saying, look, I know that that I'm not the guy on this team, and I'm barely a contributor, so... Just save me from, like I said, I believe conversations do happen behind closed doors. I don't know that was the case with Jordan Parker. I still think he's extremely talented. I still think he has the natural instincts to be successful. I just don't know if that's at Oklahoma anymore. Bringing me to the number one option that I believe will transfer out. And this is such an unfortunate one for me, Matt. I think it's going to be Tanner Mordecai flipping back to the offensive side of the ball. You look at Jalen Hurts transferring in. Tanner Mordecai has waited for an opportunity. He'll back up, most likely. He will back up Jalen Hurts this year. But the way that people who surround the program, as well as the fan base, continues to talk, Spencer Rattler is the future. And if Spencer Rattler comes in and takes the reins, Tanner Mordecai is once again going to find himself in a backup role. And then guess what? In 2021, Vandegrift is going to land on campus. That's that's not a good combination if you're looking to get some quality playing time to increase your draft stock and potentially play on the next level. It's because of how well Oklahoma has recruited that position. And this is no slight against a Tanner Mordecai because I thought he was the perfect fit for this Lincoln-Riley offense. And what we saw, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, on down the list through these generations that we were going to see, I thought Tanner Mordecai would just be that next Piece That next cog to this machine who stepped in, took over and had great successes on the football field at the University of Oklahoma. But again, Oklahoma, the ability to recruit specifically on the offensive side of the ball and more specifically at the quarterback position. I mean, you get two five star recruits in here. It's It's going to be a competition, and you're going to have to battle every single day for that starting position without the guarantee of ever setting foot on the field.
0: No, I agree. I agree 100%, and that's why I have Tanner Mordecai as, as my number one, um, because I, I don't even know that he's going to actually be the backup this year, I think, after Spencer Rattler gets in here. And, if, if, and here's the thing. It's all about hype. If he lives up yeah. to the hype, <laughs> then – then he's going to be that guy, and and that that leaves Tanner Mordecai, who will probably start the season at QB number two on the depth chart. And by you know by the end of you know, I, I don't know by by the end of no October, no no.
1: What? I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. I just I don't think you you waste Spencer Rattler's eligibility. Spencer well, Rattler I think will if play four games. If there's a if
0: no no well play four games considering everybody remains healthy but hey, you know heaven forbid an right. injury occurs and jalen hurts is going to miss a lengthy amount of time do mm-hmm. you do you at that point throw a tanner mordecai out there and just hope for the best or do you okay now it's time you know landry jones style it's time to put you know Spencer Rattler in there, maybe a little bit ahead of its time, knowing what the potential, the the flip side is. I think if if it's a situation like that, I agree with that. With a healthy healthy Jalen Hurts, Spencer Rattler probably sees four games tops next year. But mm-hmm. a situation, an injury type situation, there's no way, in my opinion, if Spencer Rattler is who everybody says he's going to be, and and he comes into this program, and in a replacement type situation. I don't see how you would go with Spencer Rattler over Tanner Mordecai, based on everything that that's supposed to be there.
1: You don't see how you'd go with Spencer Rattler over Tanner Mordecai, or you got that flipped?
0: No, sorry, sorry. I, how you would go Tanner Mordecai over Spencer okay. Rattler's the guy. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I got you all kinds yeah. of confused, huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. My bad.
1: Yeah. Okay. So
0: that, uh, that's it. I mean, that's that's our top three. It's, it's crazy if you look at an eighty-five man roster. Um, and we had to pick three, Uh, we had two of the same three guys.
1: I concur, man, because, Matt, you and I were having this conversation. I really struggled with picking out some players. Now, I knew what positions I was looking at. I knew that I had to come from those positions, but to actually single out an individual's name was extremely difficult. Tanner Mordecai was that guy who jumped off the page to me as, as a candidate, to transfer down the road. But when I was looking at wide receiver, there are names. I mean, that's just a roster. That's a position where names are plentiful and the same goes for the defensive back. So how do you pick just, just one of those guys and say they're most likely to transfer over this guy? You know what I mean? Especially considering when you start talking about eligibility and the four games um, that these freshmen get these days, it was, it was a difficult decision, but, man, I, I guess we, we've got something cooking here because you and I, like you've mentioned, two of the three, 66.6%. Well, you know they say,
0: they say great, great minds think alike, so so there you have it. Okay, you listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Hi, right, man, so we, we got to jump into uh, a little bit of UCLA uh, Bruin football. Um we we talked a couple weeks ago about uh oklahoma's first three games i pegged the season opener on september 1st against houston as the toughest of the non-conference games um you said that it would be south dakota state i'm totally kidding totally kidding you said it would be uh (laughs) ucla um and so we're going to talk for a few minutes specifically about ucla and let you explain why you feel like the bruins are a tougher game uh, for Oklahoma, than Houston will be, and then I'll spend a few minutes to telling you why you're wrong. How's that? Sound?
1: Oh, okay, okay, good, perfect. Um, here, here's one of the major reasons is while I don't believe this is a complete turnaround of this program. I mean, this was a team that went three and nine last year. How good can they truly be? But I believe that coaching has a lot to do with it. We can go back to Bob Stoops. Uh, was it second year? He won a national championship right. with recruits that weren't necessarily his. It meant that the talent was on the roster. They just needed a quality coach who could come in, number one, and put the X's and O's on the board and actually draw up executions. But two, it meant that it had to motivate these players to execute what was being drawn up, X's and O's on the board. I believe that Chip Kelly can be that at UCLA. I think he's got that kind of potential. Number two, we also know that Chip Kelly typically brings in an up-style offense. It's going to be up-style, up-tempo, excuse me, Um, an up-tempo offense. It's going to, Houston's going to be a good primer, Matt, for what UCLA is going to bring, because both of those are going to be up-tempo offenses they're going to try to keep people defenses specifically on their heels as well as keeping them guessing where that next attack is going to come from but the real kicker here for me and why I've picked UCLA over Houston is because the quality of athlete and that's no slight to anyone who is at Houston that's not to say there isn't speed there isn't athleticism but when you're at this power five conference when you are at ucla the quality of athlete is, is expected to be higher than that of a team that resides in a non-power five conference is that true I, I don't know but i've bought into that idea clearly which is why like i said i've given ucla ucla the edge in the non-conference portion of the schedule as the, the most difficult opponent
0: yeah, so here's the thing is that, you know, one of the oldest sayings in sports is that it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes. And the, the main difference between 1999, Bob Stoops' first year, and then 2000, the National Championship year, and 2018, Chip Kelly's first year, and then what we're looking at 2019, is that Bob Stoops took the team to a bowl game his first year. Chip Kelly's team, their first year, worst start since 1943 at 0-5. Um and and look I don't want to take away from Shaquille and what he did at Oregon um, he is an offensive genius he he's one of the the greater minds of college football but I mean this is an offense that that they they didn't they didn't crack the top 50 in any major statistical category for offense last season including scoring they were 98th in the country scoring you don't fix that overnight and and I'm telling you right now Rich if It's just one of those things where we'll just have to get people to to tell us if they agree or disagree. But here's the thing is that um, if, if, if UCLA and Houston were to play, put them on the neutral field, Houston wins that game by two touchdowns easy put them in in Pasadena, Houston still wins by, <laughs> by at least 10. Uh, There's just you talked about the level of the athlete and and the level of the athlete that that Houston has out there experience-wise and and, and dangerous-wise, this Houston offense is way way more dangerous than than what Oklahoma is going to face out in UCLA. To me, the biggest thing going to UCLA is going to UCLA, traveling to Los Angeles and the, the potential distractions and and the time changes and the things that that come with with that type of a trip. But this is a bad football team. You you can't, in my opinion, Oklahoma is in all the conversations for. Um, Oklahoma is in all the conversations for Big Twelve championship playoff berth again. they they're all that preseason hub is about Oklahoma. Exact same way it was last year. You can't go from a a three-win season to beating a national contender with the type of players that Chip Kelly's only been able to get in one season. It's not like he went out and got bad players, but he has underdeveloped players. Now, if, there's, if you were to ask me, what are you worried about? What are you worried about with Houston? What are you worried about with UCLA? Well, with Houston, I'm worried about the passing game. I think Derek King, we talked about him. The, the, the kid's a, a, a gamer. Uh, he's one of the better quarterbacks. To me, best non-Power 5 quarterback. And he's better than, the, than a lot of Power 5 quarterbacks. Um, so great, great opportunity for him to showcase his skill set against a bad Oklahoma defense. That has me worried at the season opener because there's still a bunch of things that Oklahoma's going to have to work out defensively. What well, am I worried about UCLA? Well, I, I'm, I'm worried about their running game. You know, um, you've got a, a guy in Joshua Kelly who was almost uh, tw- well, over 1,200 yards rushing in 2018. You've got the interior of the offensive line coming back. And so it's, it is like a one-two punch with a, a cupcake opponent in the middle to try to figure it out, where Houston is going to expose things uh, about Oklahoma's secondary. UCLA is going to test Oklahoma's front seven because – they're going to be inexperienced again at a quarterback, at, at the quarterback position. They've got Doran Thompson Robinson, who was limited to seven games last year as a freshman. Uh, he, he is going to have some groin pains as a sophomore. Uh, let, let limited
1: spin. because of an injury, though. You know this, right? Well, that's
0: what I'm saying. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Okay, he was okay. limited. I just want to make sure uh, you're in the matter. know. No, yeah, 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 I, I know that because I was at the game when they when they played in Norman. So I, I get that, but whether it's injury or other things, he was limited, and, and he doesn't have a full collegiate season under his belt, and he's got one good receiver that we know of. Now, there could be some guys, some hidden gems on that roster, but they're very, very thin at the, reserve, at the receiver position, especially after losing Caleb Wilson uh, to the NFL. This is a team that's going to have to run the ball first, and that scares me because – we i mean who, who doesn't still have visions of Puka Williams running all over Oklahoma's defense and that was the Kansas Jayhawks and so um there, there's potential for UCLA to, to do damage against Oklahoma's defense but here here's the thing for both of these games if you're looking for the crown jewel of hope both of these teams Houston and UCLA probably were worse than Oklahoma defensively in 2018 and and there's no really i mean there's Tell me how they got better. You know, um, the Bruins were 119th nationally in sacks. They only registered for the entire Mm. season last year. They registered 15 sacks. And so, look, I mean, I know Oklahoma's retooling the offensive line. This will be the third game of the season. I like Jalen Hurts here. I I said Jalen Hurts uh, last week on my podcast. Jalen Hurts would be a national name as if he's not already. But I think that Houston game will be close enough for Jalen Hurts between running and throwing could have a 500-yard type performance. Um, I don't expect him to play a full game um, against uh, South uh, South Dakota State, but I think he could have another 500-type performance in this game because of the amount of time he's going to have to throw the ball. Um, CeeDee Lamb will be huge in this game because the amount of time that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to have. This will be a big game for Grant Calcutta. Because the amount of time that Jalen Hurts is going to have, there is there is very little about UCLA that worries me. There's a lot more about Houston that worries me. But when I look at the defensive side of the ball, man, I don't know. Again, I don't I don't know what the over under is on these two games, uh, but I would definitely start looking at the over.
1: Well, there you have it. I'm Matt. We're <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see your points. Um, I understand where you're coming from. I believe that you you made an extremely good point concerning UCLA when it concerns their pass rush because I don't think it exists still today. When I look at the strength of that defense at UCLA, I have to believe the strength is the secondary, and they're the ones who are going to provide the highlights for this team. Now, you get a guy like a Jalen Hurts in there who – A lot of people, regardless of the videos that are popping up, um, regardless of the word that's coming out of camps and his passing ability, I know that people are still going to lose a little bit of sleep over the ability to pass that we've seen from Jalen Hurts up to this point of his career. Whether I agree with that or disagree with it, isn't the point I'm trying to make here. I'm saying that if he begins to struggle and this secondary is as good as I believe that they can be, they, they may not need a pass rush. They may just need one or two turnovers no. to really keep this game close, closer than what you think it's going to be clearly. no. See, I,
0: Yeah. No. Cause and I, disagree I, because, I and can you...
1: feel you shaking your head from well over 2000 <laughs> well, miles away.
0: It's well, here's the thing. I mean, and you and I have talked about this multiple times is that, you know, you you could have the greatest secondary in the world out there, but if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't matter. I yeah. mean, it, it is extremely hard to cover for six, seven seconds. And if you can't get pressure, I mean, Jalen hurts is with the, this receiving core. Jalen hurts is going to need four seconds to burn you uh, with what he's got out there on the field. And if you, if you do, if you give him four plus seconds, I'm sorry, I just I, I I agree with what you're saying, that UCLA, the strength of their defense is the secondary. But there is a huge, huge weakness in that front seven, and they're going to be tested. Here's what Oklahoma fans need to do. We we talked about Houston and that opener. I think that's going to be a barn burner type game. But look at the UCLA Cincinnati opener. That's going to be kind of an idea of what Oklahoma's looking at as far as this front seven if they can dominate cincinnati you might scratch your head and go okay all right we, we have some things to work on here but if, if cincinnati has its way uh up front with uh with ucla which i think there's a there's better than a 50 percent chance they will th- this game it could be really ugly really fast and also could kind of bring about the end of the honeymoon phase for chip kelly
1: yeah I don't disagree with that, especially <laughs> after the start that they had last year. We we right, will for see sure. for sure. We will see.
0: All right, we're gonna take our final break, and Rich, just real fast before we uh, before we close out after the final break, I want to get just some thoughts on uh, on NBA free agency. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the Thunder. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Harlan Sports, harland-sports.com. Okay, so in our closing minutes here, Rich. Um, by the way, listen to Sooner Nation. Uh, we can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter. Uh, NBA free agency officially underway. Um, before we talk Thunder, anything out there? Um, major moves that uh, have surprised you or caught your attention?
1: Yeah, um, I was absolutely shocked. Uh, there's a couple of things. You know, I figured. Kevin Durant would end up in New York. That was the rumor long before even the playoffs had started, knowing that he was in his – well, I guess he could have opted out, which is exactly what happened instead of picking up that player option. But we knew that he was going to be moving. It was who who was he taking with him to New York. And when I say New York, I'm talking Madison Square Garden with the Knicks. I, I'm not not talking Brooklyn here. Brooklyn ends up getting – Kevin Durant. That was a little bit of a surprise there for me, but I think the biggest surprise was Jimmy Butler because I thought Jimmy Butler would end up potentially teaming up with someone like a Kawhi Leonard or some of these other big name free agents who are available this year. And needless to say, it just it just didn't happen. And and uh, Jimmy Butler, sorry, a video started playing in my ears. Jimmy Butler ends up via uh, sign and trade going to, to Miami. That's the one that shocked me the most so far.
0: Yeah. I think Jimmy Butler, uh, ended up in Miami shocked uh, a lot of people. Um, you know, Kawhi's still out there. Um, my, we're recording. Yeah, but he's tonight. not going
1: to Miami.
0: No, but I'm just saying my, my understanding is that he's meeting with Toronto and then he's going to make a decision between the Clippers, the Lakers and, and the Raptors. Um, you know, and there's teams out there like, like the New York Knicks who, and the, and the Los Angeles Clippers, which happens to be my team, who just kind of left holding the bag, you know, with all these millions of dollars and, and really no one to spend it on. Um, I, it did surprise me how bad both of those teams whiffed, how, how bad, now, now the Clippers could still kind of save the day, uh, if, if they were able to get Kawhi, I think that's more of a long shot now than, than it was two days ago, um, but they could still kind of save the day with with the Kawhi signing. But the the Knicks, I mean, they don't even have that as a possibility. Um, and so I think that that really huh. surprised me uh, how bad I, both of those teams potentially whiff. I mean, the Knicks have whiffed. There's no way around it. The Knicks have whiffed, and and the uh, the Clippers are are on the cusp of whiffing uh, as soon as Kawhi makes his decision. So th- those things did surprise me because both of those teams worked hard during the during the season. To clear up space, to offer max deals. Now, here's one thing to to watch that I'm very curious: is that Golden State? There, there's a lot of talk about uh, Golden State acquiring D'Angelo Russell just so they could trade him. And and when you you talked about Jimmy Butler going to uh, to Miami, the Clippers jumped in to help that happen, and they picked up an additional first round draft pick. So the Clippers not only do they have money. But they've got draft picks they can spend as well, so it might be worth looking at because if you think about it, you know, Clay Thompson is going to miss all of next season uh, with the ACL injury. But how how does Russell, how does D'Angelo Russell fit into to that that you know that that rotation? Um, I think he's just a part that they're renting and that they're going to try to resell him. You know, people who will buy a car, fix it up a little bit and sell it for for some extra money. Um, I kind of feel like that's what's happening uh, with with the Warriors. And so I would keep an eye on that situation. Um, But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm shocked that uh, both the Knicks and the Clippers struck out as bad as they did.
1: Yeah. And I'm completely on board with you as far as D'Angelo Russell is concerned. I thought that he was headed to the Lakers for the longest time, which was odd considering that they got rid of him just a few years ago to bring him back. But it's clearly a a point of need now that the trade has gone down. Anthony Davis coming to LA, Lonzo ball being shipped out. They need a, and Rajon Rondo was a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. So they need to sign at least one point guard, especially if they're not going to retain a guy like Rajon Rondo. And maybe they have, you know, I've been out of it for a week. So I've missed a lot of news. I know I'm trying to catch up on it at this point in time. So like I said, I thought D'Angelo Russell was always heading back to LA. The Golden State issue, like you're saying, was just a ploy in a much larger scheme that has really yet to unfold. Um, But when we're looking at, Matt, I wanted to address the, the landscape of the NBA, because it's no longer this expectation that Golden State's gonna win every year. Now, Brooklyn's right. gonna have to wait a year before we see them at full strength because Kevin Durant expected to miss the entire season. If and only if Kawhi Leonard re-signs with Toronto, I think we we see Toronto as a heavy favorite to win the East, even with Philadelphia, even with Milwaukee, even with Boston being potential contenders for that title. I think we see Toronto as the overwhelming favorite. And then the West, it's just going to be a shootout in the West. We're going old school here. You have the OK Corral, if you know what I mean. Needless to say, I couldn't pinpoint a single team in the West who I think is just going to be the overwhelming odds-on favorites to not only win the conference but compete for that that, uh, championship.
0: Well, with or with or without Kawhi Leonard, I think when you at this point um, on July second, when you start uh, talking about the West, I, I think you got to start at this point with the Lakers because of Anthony Davis and and LeBron James. And you, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, about the guard situation there, which which I, I totally get. Uh, but I think that they'll work that out. Now I will say this: um, you know, we talked about the Clippers whiffing. The Clippers fan in me has to point out that. Boogie cousins is still a possibility and Kawhi Leonard. And if you put both of those on LA's team, the Clippers, that is, uh, you've got the potential there uh, for them to be one of the top teams to talk, to start talking about, but you're, I mean, you're right with Clay Thompson out golden state, uh, just kind of, I mean, Steph Curry is still a, an incredible player, but there's lots of teams in the West that have incredible players. Uh, there's one right mm-hmm. here in the city that we're from that has two incredible players and they can't get out of the first round. So um I mean, just because you have an incredible player doesn't mean you're a front runner. <laughs> um, and you look at right. the backs, though. But I, I think you got to start with the Lakers at this point, and, and then just kind of see, you know, what Kawhi does. Either Kawhi either solidifies L.A. as the team in the West, or he makes uh, the, the the Clippers a contender, or he solidifies Toronto as the team in the on the East. Uh, there, there's a you know big opportunity there for him wherever he lands. Um, Oklahoma City. Uh, re- just a real quick question, because we are up against the clock here. You know, they, they re-signed Nerlens Noel. He, he he signed or agreed, and then he had to think about it a minute, uh, and then he signs. Uh, they they picked up Mike uh, Miscala. Um, where does that leave Steven Adams? Because you're not going to have three centers on the roster. Is Steven Adams, is he a, a trade bait now? And, and when you look at his contract, can Oklahoma City get something out of him? I, I like Miscala because he stretches the floor, which is something that, a lot of Oklahoma City fans said they needed out of their five position, their big guy, someone who can really stretch the floor. Steven Adams is not that guy. Is this a shift going with, uh, with Noel and Miscala? Is this a shift for Oklahoma City, or are they just putting parts together to see what happens? Personally, I don't see Steven Adams fitting in with this team uh, with, these, with these signings.
1: I agree with you. It's kind of throwing some paint up on there, on the wall for us. People who are more involved or, or follow a little more closely the Oklahoma City Thunder, I know that there are trade rumors. A lot of those have really centered around Steven Adams. I think he is that one key piece. If Oklahoma is looking to move somebody, it is Steven Adams. And them onboarding a few others who play that same position definitely signals that something is potentially In the works. Now, I know the initial rumor about a day ago centered around the Boston Celtics. Now, Boston apparently getting Kimball Walker. I don't know how that shifts the whole perspective. Well, Boston also got.
0: They also got Enos Cantor.
1: Uh, Okay. Well,. I mean, there, there goes that theory, you know, it's (laughs) Steven Adams, Steven Adams, like I said, I think has the most trade value on this roster of people. They'd be willing to part ways with of players. They'd be willing to part ways with, I just don't know where he goes. I, I don't know who picks up that contract. I don't know how it works out in the end, but Sam Presti has worked some miracles in the past and fans have been pleased whether those have Worked out in the end is a completely different story, but up front an initial excitement is there based upon the moves that Presti has made. Is he about to pull something off with sign and trade type deals? Are we getting uh, rid of Steven Adams here in Oklahoma city? And that's why the other two have been onboarded. I don't know, Matt, but of all the entities that I see Oklahoma city parting ways with after retaining a guy like Paul George, Russell Westbrook. It is Steven Adams. He he's the most marketable player outside of those two on this roster.
0: Most marketable, but he's got a uh, he's got a big contract uh, that's going to be a little bit of an issue, I believe, in trying to trade him. But I don't I don't believe that uh, Pressey would uh, bring in uh, re sign Noel and, and bring in Muscala if he didn't have a plan. That's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks for listening, Rich. Uh, uh, like I said, man, it's great to have you back uh, on board because. Um, it's a lot easier to do this uh, with somebody else and then go by yourself. <laughs> and just, just um, get
1: yourself a mirror next time, buddy.
0: Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe that'll work, but the mirror won't talk back. Uh, thanks for listening <laughs> to Sooner Nation Podcast. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. And don't forget, uh, boomer Sooner. 18 plus.